Hi, welcome to another teaching message from Sycamore Church, Ibadan, Nigeria. All right, let's go. So um, just before I start preaching, I want to recommend, I did a message recently, um, I called Ceilings and Floors, The Power of Generations. And um, if you haven't listened to that, you might want to just listen to it. I would recommend that because it might, I won't repeat anything I said there, but it might be the basis of some of the things that it might bless you in some practical ways around some of what we're going to say today. Um, but let me start from here today. You know, increasingly as technology advances and especially with just this emerging world culture where a lot is possible these days and, you know, just preferences, personal preferences, there seems to be like we would actually deal with a lot more questions, like front burner questions just pop up, uh, pop up at us. All right. So um, let me give you a few scenarios. All right. Um, just names totally fictional. Ada and Adana are about to get married. Adana is like, man, I can't imagine my wife going through what I saw a close friend going through, you know, pain of pregnancy and labor and all that kind of stuff. So can we rather have a surrogate carry our babies for us? Mr. and Mrs. Bezalel have just had a baby. Now we are done with like the naming ceremony and all that kind of stuff, but we just feel like we're at the end of ourselves because where do we even start from? What is this new human being all about? What is his mission in our family? Is this a trap? You know, what, what we were even just trying to do, we're just doing life simply, but now we're battling to stay sane. And what is this whole thing all about? Onana is 28 years old. Her parents have outrightly told her that they do not agree with her decision to marry Nana. She has explained, she has pleaded, she has argued, she has prayed, cajoled, and even tried negotiating, but their stand is no. Should she break up the relationship now or go ahead as an adult to the law court and basically lose her parents to gain her husband? Halil is an unmarried Christian and she is getting towards the end of her fertility period. And the Bible is surely against fornication and she's not thinking about that. But she wants to have a child of her own. So with what technology allows, can she donate her eggs and probably get a surrogate to carry the baby for her? And then, and, 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 you know, husband or none, she can raise this baby and just move on with life. Frank and Franklin are a same-sex couple. They're married now for five years. They have a great marriage. They love. They would love to have a child of their own. Um, but it seems like no matter how hard they try, they're not getting to conceive. <laughs> and... Um, and so, perhaps they can explore some surrogacy option and get themselves a child. We could go on and on with real questions and honestly dilemmas that we stand in and that exist in the space of our world today. But surely a lot is possible today. And no matter what your questions are today and, you know, just the advancement and technology and all of that that is happening, I do think that the Bible gives us a lot of strong considerations that we can be wrapping our minds around. So, um, you know, when you're a child, you basically think that you know everything that your parents are supposed to do. You feel like you can parent yourself better than your parents. Um, you feel like your parents are just supposed to listen to you always. They are supposed to buy all the stuff on your list. They are supposed to earn more money and increase your allowance. They are supposed to let you go where you want to go, when you want to go, and come back when you want to come back. They are supposed to trust your sense of judgment. They are supposed to believe that you know what you are doing and all of that. Why don't they seem to believe? I mean, children seem to know exactly what parents should be doing and how they should be behaving. And on the flip side, parents seem to know how children should behave. So parents know exactly what kids should do. Parents always have better plans for their children than the children have. 
And there's this thing about, you know, this joke that I heard a long time ago about like um, a, a parent. Just always telling your child, can you see real children? So one day they went to um, the child's prize giving day, prize giving day in child school. The parents came to attend. And as they were calling out students that won first prize in this, they would call that guy. They would call that guy first prize. Tony Lokwemudi, first prize. And they were just calling him again and again. And every time, um, um, you know, the person just goes forward, the parents are like, can you see real children? Can you see, sure, sure you can see real children. See, see child. Is that one not child? You know, and all of that. Does he have two heads? You know. And then, anyway, they finished the ceremony. The child was really sad and sober. And then they were then going home. And as they started going and they walked out, you know, it was a rainy day. And then the first SUV passed and just splashed water on them. And, you know, it was one of the guy's friends. He waved as he left. And then, you know, they were waiting for a bike. They were still trying to order safe border. And then um, more SUVs just passing and tell like, can you see reparents? Can you see? Can you see? Can you see? Are those ones not parents? Do they have two heads? And, and all that. I honestly remember when my wife and I were about to become parents, 2016, and I honestly felt like I was going to be like an awesome dad. I felt like I had learned enough. Uh, I knew what every parent should do. I know parenting, like I know what I'm supposed to do. I understand how to listen right. I know how a child should be heard. I, I was just thinking about all, all the awesome conversations that I was going to have with my child and all the fun times that I would have and, you know, the vacations and all of that. I was just thinking about how I'll be the best storyteller in the world. And, you know, I was just ready to be a dad. I was thinking about all the emotions and, you know, I know that I'm I have to at some point smack my daughter, but I couldn't even imagine it. That maybe I'll just smack her. She'll go to one side of the room and cry. I'll go to the other side and cry. Then we'll both come back to the middle and hug ourselves and cry together. Like, I was just picturing all of that. All I will say this holy morning is that a few years later, some years after, I have I've kind of learned, you know, the more that I've been around this parenting space that it really takes a lot more than just an emotional you know, feeling and just all those fantasy ideas. It takes a lot more to prosper in a God design. Um, and honestly, we need all the help that God can even give us to be what God calls us to be. So what I want to do today is that, because I, I want to get to talking about surrogacy, but I think that I need to lay a foundation from parenting. So I want to try and say what exactly, how can we understand what is God's heart for parenting? Let's lay a foundation from there, and then we can now build it out. Okay, so stay with me. Genesis chapter 4 verse 1. Let's start from the first recorded parent in the Bible. Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve. So um, Genesis 4.1, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Some translation says, God has helped me to have a man. So basically what the Bible says, first mention of parenting, Adam knew Eve, his wife. Okay? So basically what happened, Adam and Eve went on a date. They walked under an orange tree. And then they were smiling at each other. And Adam is like, Eve, I want to know you. And then he's like, tell me about yourself. And uh, she says, where do I start? And then he says, tell me your background. She's like, I don't have a background. He says, oh, okay, tell me about your parents. I don't have parents. Ah, he's like, well, how can I know her? Okay, so he's like, um, tell me, what are your hobbies? She's like, well, I like plucking oranges. I like peeling pineapples. And he's like, bam, I know you. And then she had a child. So... But what do we notice? What do we notice? What we notice here is that there is a creation design that is being fulfilled. That God designed in his creation that the production of another child is going to come from, from, from a man and a woman having sex, which is like the deepest point of intimacy between a man and a woman. The deepest point of intimacy and oneness between a man and a woman. God says, let this produce a child. 
And so Paul is explaining sex in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He's saying, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Verse 15, shall I take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Look at verse 16. Do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? So he's talking about this oneness in that place. And so he's then saying that, don't you know that that's what the Bible means when it's saying the two shall become one flesh? That's not just about them when and co. It's actually something deep between both of them. And so... How do we see this whole picture? Let me show you something. You know, the other day we were giving out scholarships here, and then you can have this child that won an award. This guy won a scholarship, and we're giving him a scholarship. And then they're like, oh, won't take a picture. Then they're like, oh, oh, the parents should join. And so the parent joins the picture, and then we're like, oh, well, the school is also connected. The school should also, the representative of the school should join, so that we can have in one picture um, everything connected to this child. Now, this is what God wants us to see. God wants us to see a picture of a child coming into the world, of, a, of the production of a child and he wants you to see it riding on the back of intimacy between a man and a woman. God says, I want a man and a woman intimate. I want a oneness between a husband and a wife. I want there to be an intimacy and it is based on that that I want them to produce a child. So God says, I want the story of every child to be coming out of a oneness. That I want to see a man and a woman living in intimacy, having this sense of peace and harmony and oneness. Not antagonistic, not fighting, not one on one side, one on that side. God says, listen, this is how I want production of children to be. Let it be out of a space of oneness. God wants to see one voice, one vision, one voice. And out of that, let another generation be rising. Why is this picture important? Because I believe God wants to express himself holistically to children through parents. I'll tell you what I mean. You see, when I'm saying a man and a woman, there are God attributes that are in men and in women. All right? God designed and created. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image. Now, verse 27, God then created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. How did he do this? He expressed it in male and in female. Now, based on that in verse 28, he then said, be fruitful and multiply. Now, stay with me. This is really important. So God has attributes of himself, of his image, that he says, how will they see my image? He says, I'm going to express it two ways, male and female. In other words, God has feminine attributes as well as masculine attributes. Or better put, men have attributes of God as well as women have attributes of God. So um, we bear God's image based on our gender identity. So, for example, God would express himself and talk about, you know, the feminine sense of comfort. And he would say how, listen, Isaiah 66, 13, God comforts his people just like how a mother comforts. All right. Again, he would say in Isaiah 49 and 15, that picture of a woman taking care of a child that she can't forget a nursing child. God says, that's the way you think about me, that I won't forget you. He's showing you that there is a, a, a God's um, ability to comfort and to nurse and to nurture that I express in myself through a woman. Again, God, in the same way, expressed himself through men. He's talking about the image of strength and protection and headship and all of that. In Hebrews and chapter 12 and verse 9, it's saying, look, we've had earthly human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Now, he's linking that to how God also, like a, like a man, would correct and train and stand in that position for us. So what God is saying, this is what I want you to see. God is saying that the way I want a new child to come into the world should bring together those attributes that you see in male and in female. He says, bring it together so that there can be a holistic representation of God over children. So think about it. If you were God and you wanted to be procreation in the world, you know you had options. 
Why did God put this thing in sex? Sometimes I wonder, why did God? Like God had options. Like why didn't he just say, oh, um, I want people to reproduce. Okay, let it be for the prayerful. So you just have a man and a woman hold their hands and pray up to a point and then just have a child. Or better still, why didn't God even just say, let a man just go on three-day retreats and just pray through and fast and wait. Whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. And when you pray into a depth, you just realize you are pregnant. Why didn't God do that? Why did he put this thing of procreation in the union of a man and a woman? God says, like, by design, let them see the oneness. Let the oneness of a male and a female come together and let that be the design for procreation. So, second thing I want us to notice here is that God wants us to see that he starts his conversation with children from a conversation with parents. God wants you to see that, that there's something happening between parents that leads to a conversation with children. So when you look through births in scripture, you see this pattern. You see Zechariah and Elizabeth having a conversation and dealings with God because God wants to bring John the Baptist. It's the same way you see that you can meet Samson on the road and say, Samson, why don't you cut your hair? Why don't you drink alcohol? Samson will tell you it was a conversation God had with my parents that shaped my life. God starts a conversation with parents that he then puts upon children. Um, Solomon, how did you come about building the temple? What, What led to that? It was a conversation God had with my father. God starts a conversation with parents over children. Listen, good parenting is sensitive to the God design over a child. And it is collaborating with God to fulfill it. I'll say that again. Good parenting is sensitive to a God design over a child. And it is collaborating with God to fulfill it. What does this mean? That parents must see themselves as being in conversations with God for the sake of their children. More than just paying bills, more than just, you know, standing and giving orders. You must see yourself as a parent. As I am in conversation with God over a child, God starts a conversation with me for the sake of my children. And at the same time, children should recognize that God's will for them. It's not just to live in the abstract. That there is a divine working in parents for the sake of children. We should know that. Exodus 20 and verse 12. Listen, one of the commandments. Children, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord is giving you. Why does God connect his plan for your life and the days being long to what you do with your father and mother? Because there's a conversation of God with father and mother that influences children. Colossians 3 verse 20. Children, obey your parents in all things for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Now verse 21 then says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they be discouraged. So what I want to say today is like on all sides of the conversation, it's like fathers, take up responsibility to be fathers. There is an expression of God in your masculinity over a child. Women, take up responsibility to be mothers. There is an expression of God in that your femininity over a child. There is a nurture that you bring. There is something that God says, let it come together. And in oneness, let that be a picture that births a child. Let a child come out of a sense of a a holistic picture of God that is expressed in gender. What I'll say today, whether parent or child, that this is the story of grace. That the fact that nobody was something to you doesn't mean you can't be it to anybody else. And so we can be standing strong in a sense of identity and the position of God for us. But maybe the big question is to what end? Why would God, why would God even set it up generationally like that? First thing I'll say is so that children can get it right. So that you can get it right. Proverbs 22 verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So that you can get it the right way. Ephesians 6 and verse 4, it says, Bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. 
It's the same thing you notice in the Israeli culture that God would set up all these things and institute it and say, you know, put this stone in your house, put this, celebrate this feast in your house. He would set up all of these structures so that, and he would say, so that when your children ask you, you start to teach them, you start to tell them about this and that and that, that there's all this training going so that another generation will get it right. Again, secondly, I think so that children can have an advantage start. Proverbs 13 and verse 22 says that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And listen, inheritance is not just money. A good man leaves an inheritance. He leaves something for children to grow up in. But the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. In 2 Timothy 1 and verse 5, Paul is telling Timothy about a faith that was in his grandmother, that was in his mother, that now is in him. That we pass things generationally so that people can have an advantage start. I was telling you about how David kept all the items for building the temple for Solomon. So Solomon basically came to build. His father had made provisions. Would that not be awesome for you this morning? If your father had made provisions for it, don't worry, don't let's. <laughs> but certainly this morning, I also think that God sets it up this way so that children can be prepared and deployed right. Listen, one of the images God gives about children is Psalm 127. Please, I'm going somewhere, stay with me. Psalm 127 and from verse 3, it says, um, Don't you see that children are God's best gift? The fruit of the womb um, is his generous legacy. All right, so it says, like a warrior's fistful of arrows at the children of a vigorous youth. Oh, how blessed are you parents with your quivers full of children. Do you see what the Bible is saying? That he's likening children to arrows. So he's like that God puts arrows in the, in, in, in the quiver of, of a vigorous youth. That this is like a child. That there's this sense of how are you going to be deployed. That something is sharpening you. Something is, is aiming you. Something is deploying you right. That a child can be targeted in life. And I believe this is how parents become sensitive over children, that we start to prepare children and sharpen them and pray over them and position them so that they can be deployed right and can be all that God calls them to be. So what is God's picture? Here's what I'm trying to say, that God sees a picture of a man and a woman being intimate, to be one, to have one voice, that place of oneness, to have one vision, all right, to come to a depth of a place of oneness and out of that picture of oneness, then bring out a child. So let a child be empowered to become all that God intends for that child to be, coming out of a place of the oneness of a man and a woman, not antagonism, not the frights, not, the, not somebody saying that, somebody doing that, you know, scheming and behind the back. No, God says, let a child come out of a place of intimacy, of oneness. And in that place of oneness, then God says, let this child prosper in my purpose. But let's look a little closer at what it's saying because I think there are a few things we must observe. First of all, the Bible is saying train up a child in the way that he should go. So um, at what point is he then going to go in that way that he has been trained for? Evidently, what I'm trying to say is that I think there is a space of parenting where I am training up. You train up a child. You don't train up an adult. Do you get what I'm trying to say? There's a space of parenting. Again, it says that a man in Genesis, it says a man shall leave his father and mother. So there is a place where the, the, the duty of a father and a mother over that child in, in some level of parenting is fulfilled. So what is that place? So go and be joined to his wife. There's definitely a point where parenting moves from being like an absolute instructor to becoming an advisor. And maybe even at some point an observer. But where is that point? So here's what I want to say. Let me say what parenting is not. Parenting is not another chance to live your own life. Parenting is partnering with God to help another person live their own life. I'll say that again. Parenting is not another chance to live your own life. Except perhaps in the case of a widow or a widower, parenting is not another chance to pick a life partner. 
You picked your own. Your child will pick his own. Do you get what I'm trying to say? Parenting is not another chance to live your own life. Parenting is partnering with God to help somebody else live their own life. Why would you pick career twice? You picked one. Somebody else will pick their own. Parenting is partnering with God to help somebody else live their own life. Parents, don't be controlling. Because when you become controlling, you become manipulative. And listen, the life is not your own. At the end of the day, somebody is going to give account for that life, and it's not you. You are going to give account for your own stewardship, parenting, but not for that life. So don't be manipulative. It only makes sense that if God is dealing with somebody, the primary dealings of God will be with that person. He will then surround that person to be supported. Do you get what I'm trying to say? But ultimately, the primary dealing of God will be with that person. And many times, parents like that tend to be so focused on their own needs rather than the needs of the, of the child. So, what I think about parenting is that we're all going to find that it evolves. And it's like, the picture I have of it is like passing a relay button. And if you pass it well, right, there are a few things about passing a relay button. That somebody is running, and you see that guy looking back to see how somebody is running into this scene. This person is running with, you know, strength and is gaining ground and perhaps has even given like a good gap. I've given you an advantage and all of that, and I'm coming with a button, all right? Now, you've got to be ready to receive it. You are going to run your own race, but I've modeled something for you. I've given you an advantage. Now, you stretch out your hand, and you're going to receive. There's going to be a place where it seems like there's an overlap, right? There's going to be a place, and some of you know that tension right i'm trying to be a man you're trying to hold me back right there's going to be that place but what i'm saying is that eventually you are going to run your race and it's going to be failure on parenting to follow you running your own race you get what i'm trying to say there's a point where you have to release are you hearing me this morning it's a point where you're going to say it's your own race you're going to run it i've modeled something i've given you every advantage i can i've taught you in the way of the lord i've shown you how to live i've given you the advantage of seeing a model i've taught you i've prayed over you i've done what i can do and this is the button now you are going to run listen if that exchange is not completed if you hold on to that button there's a place that it becomes frustrating all right and so we're going to find in many ways that the parent-child relationship is going to evolve all right okay now so with god's design for parenting as a framework now let's see how it applies to surrogacy i started from there for a reason now here is something you must always keep at the back of your mind i was telling them in first place when you're keeping plenty of things at the back of your mind you start to have long ago so here's but, but here's here's something you must keep at the back of your mind you know that when god completed creation all right he did things in like a seed form he did, he created a garden. He created one man and one woman. He created, you know, um, he created um, 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 trees. He created, and then those things started to spread out, okay? So more and more, we are seeing a fuller picture of the beauty and the intent of God that was locked up in that moment, right? We're together here, right? We must always remember that. That God is unpacking something that he had already put in. That is God's big design. So, so here's, here's a picture. It's like a lady leaves her house and she's carrying a handbag. All right, she leaves her house. How many of you know that there are many things in that handbag, right? There, there are many things in that handbag, right? Okay, so we tell a lady now, start to unpack. Bring out something for a handbag. So she first of all brings out maybe powder, right? Okay, that's there, right? Okay, good. Then she brings out, you say, bring out something. Or she brings out a mirror, right? Um, bring out something else. Keep giving it to me. She brings out comb, all right? She brings out... Jewelry. Sorry? Lip gloss. Yes. Okay, give him one more. Uh -huh. Wipes. Uh -huh. So, 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 you know, and every time she brings one of those things out, you're like, ah, yeah, you, you know, I saw that coming. I saw that coming because it's like I see who you are and in unpacking this, I can see that coming, right? But when she brings out a gun, 
no, 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 I didn't see that. Do you get what I'm trying to say? Okay. So everything she's unpacking looks more and more like who she is. On the flip side, if a soldier walked in here and, you know, had like a pack and he said, this is my soldier, my um, military pack or something. And then he brought out a gun. Yeah, I, see, I see that coming, right? Are we together, right? So what I'm saying about God's created world is that when we see God's design, even if we haven't seen everything, there's a way that as we start to unpack God's world, it looks more like God, right? That's the right way to unpack it. So it should look like God. And I believe that technology is a blessing of God. Technology is an absolute blessing of God um, to help us to live in a fuller experience of his created world. His intent, to bring us closer and closer to his intent of his created world, to see his beauty, to see his wisdom. Let me just say, Satan is not that wise to create technology, right? Satan is not creative. Satan corrupts. He doesn't create. Satan simply looks at things that are created and looks for how to corrupt them. All right? Or to use them to distract you, to use them in a wrong way. But Satan is not creative. Man, I'm thinking of how technology has helped me in my relationship with God. Amazing. I was remembering this morning about how when I was, when I was in 100 level and I just gave my life to Christ maybe like two years before then and all. And I wanted to study the word. I wanted to even be able to look at different translations. And I remember I would want to have my quiet time in the morning. And I remember that I would open my Bible to, let's say today I'm reading John chapter 5 and I open it here. And I remember that I would open sometimes up to 20 Bibles and open all of them and line them up on my bed. So I'll read John chapter 1 in New King James. I'll go and read it in NIV. Then I'll come back to read it in Message Bible. I'll now go and look for ERV. I'll now but now with a click, I look at everything. Technology has helped me. Amen, anybody? Satan didn't create this. Satan looks for how to corrupt it. Technology is a blessing from God. So from the earliest forms, what God does is that he puts wisdom in the hearts of people for the purpose of making the world and our experience of his world more like what he created it to be. So on one hand, for example, God created mosquitoes. God made them good. God designed them well. He made sure their legs are well accurate and he measured it thin enough to, you know, he, he put the beauty in the mosquito. Maybe you've never seen the beauty. I'm just telling you that God was intentional about every mosquito that he made. But listen, in his creation design, I don't believe that he designed mosquitoes to live in the same rooms with human beings. That's where the problem is. So what technology does is that it helps you to have a better experience of God's creation by separating mosquitoes from the room where human beings live. So insert a mosquito net. Technology. Do you get what I'm trying to say? Or odomos. Technology. All right? Anything else? You are killing God's creation. That is not right. Don't kill. No, don't kill. Okay. Okay, so, so, so here's, here's what I would say. Maybe you're hearing everything I'm saying today, and um, I know what's going on in your mind as I start speaking about all of this, and I'm saying God's design and God's beautiful design. What's going on in your mind is, I get all of that. I get everything about a man and a woman. Please come. I get everything about a man and a woman, but I didn't have that. I didn't have any sense of oneness and unity of a man and a woman. What I grew up seeing was just antagonism, and that's what brought me into the world. Or maybe you're hearing everything I'm saying and you're saying you don't even understand that. Like, like you're saying all oh, the ideal and all of that, but I am far away from the ideal. And I totally agree. That's the point. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, 19.5 million children, that's more than 1.4, live without a father in the home. A U.N. report on Nigeria 2019 says that 9.5% is, is the rate of single motherhood in Nigeria and that it's steadily growing. So, 
We have big issues. The point is we're far away from the ideal. We can sit down here and say, you know, a man and a woman and the oneness to train up a child in the way that, yeah, 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 that's the ideal. But, but we didn't get that. Fathers are absent. Maybe even in being present, sometimes their presence is worse in what it brings. There's control, there's manipulation over children. People are fighting battles that God never designed for them to fight. Some of you would say, my father who was supposed to be a mentor has become a tormentor. My parents should be a covering. I, I grew up thinking my parents are a covering. <laughs> they literally, they are my covering. There's <laughs> <laughs> manipulation. There's abuse. Parents that should be championing a cause for children sometimes are abusing the children. Spiritual parents are abusing spiritual children. Sometimes couples are doing all that they know to try and conceive and say we want to raise another child for another generation in our oneness and it just it's not happening. That it's far away. We're just not in the ideal. That's what I'm saying. We're not in the ideal. Sometimes we're at the days of Abraham took a wife. Like it was that simple. Abraham took a wife and he knew his wife and she bore him a son. Like it was that straightforward. Now you want to take a wife, but just that line, take a wife. And they bring the list from her village. Life just gets complicated. The point is that we are far away many times from the ideal. There's bitterness. Maybe you're saying, man, that, you know, like that parent that was running and was giving me a model and giving me like this advantage. He had given this gap so that when I get the button, I can run. But the point is, the person bringing the button for me was far behind. Model. What model did I have? Model of brokenness. Model of pain. In fact, maybe I even hear you say, you don't even know all these things you are saying. What may I know? All that I received is generational cost. <laughs> Selfishness, manipulation. That's what runs... Generational call, everybody in my family at this level. If you're a Christian, let me just say this. If you're a Christian, I don't, I don't think your issue will be a generational curse. Because if you put your faith in Jesus, the Bible says that Christ has redeemed us from the curse, okay? So your issue may not be a generational curse. But listen to this. There are generational tendencies. It's not in your blood or anything. But you've, you've been watching something. You can do it. You know how to do it. You know how to beat your wife. Do you understand? You've been watching it. It's not that they did anything to you, but they modeled it to you. And a Christian can deal with generational tendencies. What I'm just trying to say is that we are far from ideal. We live in a fallen world. Honestly, we do. We are far from ideal. And in some way or the other, maybe you are even a victim of this. So that is the point. That's the exact point. That God is working in the earth today. God is working in various forms. Whether through technology or through, you know, all he's working. God is working in the earth today to bring us closer to his designed intention. That's the point. That's why I'm saying we need to see what is God's intention so that we can see how God is working in the world today to bring us closer to it. In Psalm 27 and verse 10, David says, when my father and my mother forsake me. That's the point there. Fathers and mothers that forsake. They were supposed to be a voice. They were supposed to be a model and they forsook me. But listen what David says. Then the Lord will take care of me. So God is working in the earth today in spite of the failures of father and of mother. God is working in the earth today to raise another generation. How will he do that? Sometimes God is raising father figures 
Sometimes God is raising the influence of a church over your life. Sometimes God is raising a community and somehow you are receiving a training, you are receiving a sense of authority over your life that nobody ever gave you. Sometimes you are finding an acceptance that should have happened in a family and some of you know the first time you ever felt accepted was when you walked into church. Listen to Ephesians 1 and verse 6. It says that God to the praise of his glory, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. God is working in the earth today bringing us closer to that feeling, to that sense of what was even his ideal design. Psalm 68 and verse 6, it says God sets the solitary in families. Yeah, God is working in the earth today and I know you might feel like I'm solitary. I never had that advantage and that, that. Yes, that's the point. God starts to put the solitary in families. It was Jesus that said that, you know, they were telling Jesus, tell, tell these stones to be quiet. Tell these people to be quiet. And Jesus said, look, even if these people are quiet, you know that I can raise up stones to do what these people should do. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that if there's a divine intention, this is how I read it. As long as I can look around and I can see a stone, God can still fulfill it. Even in the failures of people to do what they should do, as long as I can look around and see a stone, God can fulfill it. Amen, anybody? So Jesus said, I believe that God is raising figures and God is in many ways working through different means to bring the world to be restored to it. Romans 8 and verse 18 says that all creation is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. God is bringing a restoration um, to bring us closer to that ideal of what he intended. So it's on that background that I would now start to build into this conversation of surrogacy. So God comes to Abraham and God tells Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to do something awesome in your life. I'm going to give you a child and that child, your seed, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed and God is making promise upon promise upon promise about this and Abraham is trying to have that child and he can't have the child. And Abraham comes to God and Abraham says, God, let's make an arrangement. In fact, Abraham's wife, Sarah, brings her, her, her maid and brings Hagar to Abraham and says, sleep with her and let's have a child so that it doesn't go to Elias and let, let, let her give you a child. And so Abraham has a child called Ishmael and Abraham is coming to God and saying, let Ishmael be that child of promise. And God says, no. God says, no. That it matters who carried the child. So Galatians chapter 4, listen to verse 22 of Galatians chapter 4. It says that there's a difference between the child of a free woman and the child of a bond woman. Abraham had two sons, one by the bond woman and the other by a free woman. God says, no, the promise is going to happen in the child by the free woman. And so maybe you hear that and you're like, that's the point, that's the point. So all, all forms of reproductive technology and all of that, you know, surrogacy, reproductive technology, anything in that line is evil, is not of God. No, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Because if I just go a little further, let me just, let's generalize it now. Let's make it a bit wider because you get to Jacob and Jacob is doing birth technology on Laban's ship by the wisdom of God. So God is working a purpose in Jacob's life and he's, and Jacob is doing birth technology. Whatever form of birth technology, whether it's control, whether anything, Jacob is doing birth technology by the wisdom of God. Okay. And maybe the big one, the biggest of all, God comes to Mary and he says, Mary, man, I need a child on the earth. Can you carry it for me? Mary's like, uh, God says, yes. Uh, Mary's like, okay, I'll carry it. All right, deal, deal. <laughs> Sorry, Casey. Or, or Hannah, Hannah is, Hannah is trying to have a child. Hannah is doing all she can to have a child. And Hannah is pleading, God, she's praying. She's going to Shiloh every year. Redemption camp, no Shiloh. And she's going every year. And she's trying to have a child. And then Hannah is like, Hannah is like, okay, you know what? You know what, God? This child is not going to be my own. It's going to be your own. But let me carry it for you. And then when we've wounded, I'll hand it over to you. And God says, uh-huh. 
surrogacy deal let's do you hand over yeah deal he gives her the child so when you look through history whether in the bible or contemporary history there are all kinds of you know examples that you would see of this concept but what i think is the bigger question i'm going to show you what i think should be the big question we should be thinking around because it's one thing and i think it's going to be very myopic to just try and take a stand and say um a or b sometimes and i'll show you why i'm saying all of that that through history you know there were all kinds of situations people found themselves in and that birthed a lot of this let me just run sorry of time um the big surrogacy question for me is am i contradicting god's order and god's design Am I working to see a fulfillment of God's intention in the created universe? Or am I working to contradict that? So what was God's original intention? How did God intend for babies to come into the world? What did God see over championing the course of another generation? And am I working to see that fulfilled? In all of this, are we tampering with God's design? Or are we fighting for God's design? And so here's what I want to say. There's going to be a lot of hows and whys that I think will become important in this question. In all of this, there's going to be hows and whys. There's going to be hows because, of course, you know, basically there are a lot of legal frameworks, there are ethical issues and all of that to sort out. Different parts of the world, different things are allowed. That's not even my big issue. But my big issue here is maybe the why. That on one hand, if we just stand up and try to take a position and say left or right and all of that, um, I think that it's going to be very limited in scope. Because I think that there is a big difference between... Where did I miss my notes? Give me one minute. I, I changed the arrangement of my sheets and I'm looking for the sheet I should be looking for. This is a problem where you have like 100 sheets for a sermon of 30 minutes. Sing a song. Compose a song. Yeah, fantastic. There you go. What happened to your mic? Is it off? Ah. And I lift my voice to worship you, oh my soul, rejoice. Okay, your soul is rejoicing. Now let's continue. So, so, so here's, here's what I want you to see. Um, you know, there are a whole lot of reasons why people may be considering a surrogacy, for example. And when you ask questions like, oh, is the surrogate mother as real as the biological mother of a child? I, I don't even think that's the point, to be honest. It's like somebody walks to you and, you know, you lost your mother when you were five years old and somebody took you in and, you know, was like a mother figure to you for 30 years and now you're looking back over your life and you're just so grateful. And somebody comes in and says, is this person that was a mother figure, is she as mother to you as your biological mother? I just think you need to walk the shoes that some people walk sometimes before you say what you say. Do you know what it's like to be carrying a load that you can't carry and somebody comes along to help you carry? If you've ever been there before, that you needed to carry this from point A to B, and somebody came along to help you carry. Um, don't you sometimes go to Sycamore Kids and even just carry people's babies? You carry. Somebody carry baby for you. <laughs> but here's what I think. I think that there's a definitely a big difference between um, somebody 
walking along the road carrying a load that is too heavy for them and somebody helping them carry versus somebody that you know that rich kid in secondary school that just bounces into class and his father is richer than everybody and he bounces in and as he drops from the car he calls you and he says i'll give you money carry my bag for me and you're, he's bouncing after you and you're carrying his bag for him i think there's a difference amen yeah. i think there's a difference so if we, if we want to play the hypocrite we can just act like no circumstance matters and we can just nail it anywhere um but I think that maybe as we ask ourselves the big why question, I think when we ask the big why question, it's then going to reveal that maybe many times there's something deeper than what we're actually seeing. Think about how you can find a young couple that will just tell you, I don't want to see, a young guy just tells you, ah oh, man, I want to get my but I just don't want to see my wife in labor. I just feel, man, let's just pay for this. I don't want to see and all of that. Maybe, maybe the bigger question I would ask you is why? Is there a fear here? Is there a... And if there's a fear, then I think you should be dealing with the fear and not hiding behind anything. Because this is, this is the nature of fear. Fear can wrap itself around anything. Yeah. Eh? The one that you think you are dealing with now is not the real issue. Fear is just wrapping around it. As you pass that level, some of you know what I'm saying. You are afraid of going to university. Like, ah, when I get to university, what will happen? And all of that. You are so afraid of it. Then you finally got there. You just realize you are now afraid of writing an exam. And if I write an exam, what will happen? And then you wrote the exam. And you just realize you are so afraid of the law being released. You get what I'm trying to say? Fear can just be wrapping around the next thing in your life. So if there's a fair question, maybe the bigger thing to deal with is a fair question. Or sometimes somebody just tells you that, nah, the thing is I don't want anything to affect my shape. At some point in life, you are going to ask yourself, do you want to eat your cake and have it? Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Or maybe a same-sex couple comes by and says, oh, the issue for us, we're trying, we're trying, we're just not, maybe it is not a surrogacy question, maybe it's a sexuality question. Or sometimes you even walk into an older single who genuinely, you sit down and you're listening and I'm asking that, well, I don't know and I can't be your mind. I can't play God. But I'm just sometimes trying to ask, is there a tone of hopelessness here? Um, Or sometimes I I, I listen to a waiting couple and you don't know what it's like to be there. Sometimes to be a waiting couple desiring to champion the cause of another generation by God's design that God wants a man and a woman in their oneness to produce another generation. And you don't know what it's like to be there to be trying and not see it happen. And um, people start to even sometimes maybe deal with a medical condition and all of that. I'm grateful for, I'm grateful for medicine and I'm grateful for all the information that medicine gives us. I'm not saying that medicine is finality, amen. Because medicine is, is an ongoing, you know, expression of God. It's not final, but I'm grateful that sometimes we can even see a road so that we can make wiser decisions. And in that space of I want to champion the cause of another generation according to the design of God, I'm grateful that there are technological options that God makes possible for some things to happen. And in all of this, I think the big question we all have to be asking ourselves is are we tampering with God's design or are we fighting for God's design? Are we tampering with God's design or am I fighting for God's design? That's the question. So am I doing all of this to be a woman that can raise a child alone? Uh, well, God's design is the unity of a man and a woman. Am I doing all of this to be that person that, am I trying to create my own universe or am I unpacking God's design with the beauty of technology that he gives? So listen to Psalm 10. This is where I'm going to land this morning. Psalm 10 and verse 3. The Bible says, the wicked are windbags. The swindlers have foul breath. Now listen to this. The wicked snub God. Their noses stuck high in the air. Their graffiti are scrawled on the walls. Catch us if you can. God is dead. 
And I'm wondering today, just through your actions and your decisions and how you're interpreting things, are you in a journey of, you know what, God is there. This is not a God thing. Technology that was given to you to experience God in a deeper way, now you are using it to replace God. Are you in this conversation of God is dead, I can create my own worldview, I can be this or be that, and just create my own design, my own intention over the created universe, or am I in a conversation of God is not dead, God is alive, His plans stand, and I am partnering with God to fulfill his plans i'm partnering god to see his plans fulfilled from generation to generation i'm partnering with god to fulfill his plan so we don't live in an ideal world there's a lot that is broken we live in a fallen planet there are circumstances that maybe you didn't plan for there are seasons and spaces of your life that you might find yourself that you didn't plan for but my big question is through it all are we interpreting it as people that are fighting towards partnering with god to fulfill his creation design or are we trying to create a language of god is dead it really doesn't matter you may not say the words those way but that way but I'm asking deep in your heart when I start to ask you a why is it a space of God is dead is it a space of well it really doesn't matter catch us if you can we're faster than God we can create the life that we want we can just do a world that we want God did not give us technology to replace him he gave us technology to experience him in a deeper way God wants us to experience him more. God wants us to partner with him to champion the cause for another generation. God wants us to be all that he calls us to be. God wants us to prosper in that purpose. God wants us to be better parents. God wants us to be better children. God wants us to stand and champion a cause, to stand and be a voice and raise and train up and bring up. God wants us to prosper in all of that. And he gave us technology to help that purpose, not to take us away from his intent. So I'm going to end today with 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13. Through everything that I've said, um, 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 13 can be a good place. The Bible says, now abide. I'll, I'll tell you what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be a Christian is that as you navigate life and as you interpret the questions and all that is jumping at your front burner, I pray, this is how we live as Christians. And now abide faith, hope, and love. Now abide faith, hope, and love. Tim, you can come. Um, I'm going to stop here and then handing over to the life group leaders through the week. You guys can have all the exciting conversations. <laughs> now abide faith, hope, and love. This is what it means to be a Christian. That at every point in your life, you are fighting to say, there's an abiding of faith, of hope, and of love. In love, in how I treat others. Love, in how I think about others. Love, in, in how I deal with others and in the consideration that I give to others. And people are navigating spaces and I want to walk with them in love and in understanding and in consideration. And I want there to be an abiding of hope, not of hopelessness. I don't want to be like this resigned person and blah, blah, blah. No, I want to be living with hope. And I want God to be breathing a fresh sound of hope in my life through every season. I don't want to live in hopelessness. I want to live in a hope that Jesus gives. This is what it means to be a Christian. And I want to be walking by faith, not by fear, not by anxiety. I want to be walking by faith. This is what it means to be a Christian, that there's faith. There are questions that become, is this a question of my faith? And is there something I need to be believing God for? And there are questions that are love questions. And is there what I need to be walking in that space? And there are times that we need to fight to say our hope is intact. But through it all, I pray that every answer that you're given and everything that you're solving, you would look at yourself on the other side and you'll say, I see faith, I see hope, and I see love. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Would you stand to your feet if you're not standing? And um, I'm going to pray. There are two things that I want to pray for you this morning. Um, I want to pray that God is going to fill our hearts with wisdom today and I want to pray that God is going to fill our hearts with love that we're going to be Christians that walk with others in a difficult day and age and as people are navigating the effects of a fallen world 
I want to pray that God is going to help us to walk with people, not in judgment, not in condemnation, but in love. And I want to pray also that God is going to help us to walk in wisdom. That sometimes God has opened doors for people to step in, but we just don't see the light of wisdom. And sometimes, God, there are decisions that we all need to navigate, and we need God to give us wisdom. And secondly, I'm going to pray just for people on their parenting journey, and I'm going to pray for people in that journey of being parented, just for the help of God. And so if it's all right where you are, whether in this building or online, would you just hold out your hands? I want to pray this morning. Father, I thank you for the power of your word and all that you have spoken to us about today. And God, I really just pray that you're going to fill our hearts this morning. Fill every heart as we wait on you, as we look to you. Fill us with wisdom, God. Fill us with a wisdom that is not earthly, that is not trying to play God, that is not trying to replace God, but is trying to express God. That manifold wisdom that you give us in this day and age, God, I pray you would fill our hearts with it. And Lord, we would see clearly through the lens of your wisdom, Lord. We would see clearly just the possibilities that you create, God. That we'll make sound decisions in every season of our life. In the name of of Jesus. I pray for people this morning especially who just feel like there are decisions to be made. God, today I pray that they will indeed know that they are being guided by your wisdom. And Lord, I pray for, for us as people today that we're walking in love. We're walking in love with others, with one another as people are making considerations as, Lord, we're not walking in judgment and in condemnation. But God, I pray that you're going to fill our hearts with love and with, with consideration for others, God, in a day and age like this, God, in the name of Jesus and today God I pray especially for parents I pray for everybody on that parenting journey right now everybody trying to figure out how to be a voice over their children Lord of ourselves we don't have what it takes but today I pray Lord that you're filling people with grace you're filling them with sensitivity Lord to collaborate with you over their children to know where to release the button to know how to run fast to cover ground for another generation God to raise the stakes to be a right model God for another generation i pray today lord we will not fail we will not be another broken statistic god but i pray in the name of jesus that we will be strong god that we would hold our ground strong and we will give even what we never got lord we will hand out to another generation such a strong heritage of love and of faith and of hope in the name of jesus god i pray all that it takes to be the parents that you call us to be i pray in the name of jesus that you're gonna work it in us god in the name of jesus and today God I especially pray for people that are being parented and especially Lord I pray for people that are in tension seasons tension seasons of like a button is to be released and it's not being released the way it should be or I just feel like somebody dropped a button that I should be carrying or I feel like like somebody is just not giving me the advantage that I should have I pray for people that are just interpreting and navigating that space today and God in the name of Jesus I pray for wisdom and I pray for patience and I pray for soundness of judgment I pray Lord God for right judgment calls I pray for judgment calls that we'll be proud of in 30 years and in 50 years I pray God for decisions that Lord once the time evolves God we will look back and say indeed we did what was right because God helped us and Lord I thank you for this today I thank you because by the power of the Holy Spirit you're working it in every heart today and you're establishing us to be the people that you call us to be in Jesus name and everybody said amen amen Amen. 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 Awesome. I'm going to, I'm, I'm grateful everybody's standing. And can I request, let's just keep standing. And even if you're online, please um, stay standing with us in this moment. I want to make an invitation today for somebody. 
um, who came to church and is not in the right place with God. I don't know who you are or how you got to be here with us this morning. I'll tell you what our gathering is all about. Maybe you come and you just, is it just about the lights? Is it just about the worship, the sound, the music and all of that? No, it's really about us all needing God. Every one of us, we all need God. Um, but of ourselves, we are falling, we're broken, we're far away, we're sinful. We can't make it work. None of us can. And so what it takes is a God who can make it work to reach us. We can't reach him. And I'm so grateful that 2,000 years ago, do you know what God did is that he put his son on a cross. And his son died a death. He had no business dying. He was raised back triumphantly by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says that, look, if you believe that I did that, then you can put your trust in what I did. I died a death for people's sins. So you can credit that to your account. And you can stand today to say I'm righteous. Not because of anything you've done right, but because of what he did right. And today I want to make that invitation for somebody who came to church and says, I'm not in the right place with God. I feel guilty. I feel ashamed. Condemned. I've messed up. Listen, secret. It's all of us. That's how we felt at some point. But if anybody today has a right standing, it's because we put our faith and our trust in what Jesus did. And so if today you say, oh man, but I, I know, but maybe at some point I messed up. I've gone away. I've walked far away. He's a loving God. He's a loving Savior. And the revelation that Jesus gave us on that cross with his arms open is that every time you look to the cross, you will see the openness of God. And it's waiting on you this morning. Somebody needs to say yes to Jesus today. I'm going to ask everybody to close their eyes. We're all standing because we want to stand with you, but I'm asking everybody to close their eyes so you can have the right of a decision this morning. If you say you're speaking to me, I'm not right with God. I'm going to count to three where you are. I want you to put your hand on your chest, whether you're in this building or you're online anywhere. Put your hand on your chest. Let this be a definite statement today. Let today be a new life. Let it be the beginning of the rest of your life today as you take a stand for Jesus today. As you take your one step, he's going to come running. He's going to forgive you today. He's going to wash you clean. It's going to be a new beginning the guilt is taken away that voice of condemnation is taken away you are in a right standing this morning with an almighty god are you ready one two where you are three put your hand on your chest wherever you are this morning god bless you if you're doing that god bless you this morning god bless you that's a miracle happening in your life this morning god bless you god bless you thank you for your sincerity this morning whether you're in this building or you're online anywhere god bless you that is a miracle you have just done the right thing if you want to join him please do that before we pray put your hand on your chest let god see you let him know you all right let's say a prayer together this is a family of the crowd i'm going to ask everybody to join in if your hand is in your chest i want you to say these words with confidence know that god hears your voice can we say together today heavenly father, heavenly father I, come to you today I come to you today because you made a way for me to come through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of your son, Jesus. So I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is the son of God. I believe he died in my place so that I can be forgiven and I can have a right standing with God. Say today, I boldly declare that Jesus Christ is my savior and my Lord. Say, please forgive me of the past. And give me a whole new start. I say I confess today that I'm all yours. I will follow you. I will stand for you. Say one day I'll be with you in heaven. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us here at Sycamore Church. If you prayed that prayer at the end, we're so excited about your decision for Jesus. And we would love to help you get established in your relationship with him. So please let us know about your decision at www.sycamore.church forward slash Jesus. 
There, you'll also find all kinds of resources to help you build your relationship with Jesus. If you enjoyed this message, we would love for you to subscribe wherever you're listening. Or visit www.sycamore.church/resources. Again, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.